Welcome to Strong Not Starving, formerly the M. Kane Coaching Podcast. My name's Marcus Kane, and if you want to beat binge eating and create a rewarding relationship with food and exercise, you are in the right place. Today, I've got a great conversation with Catherine Hansen, author of Brain Over Binge, who's joining us for today's episode to talk about the eight most common ways our mind tries to justify binge eating. Now, binge eating is one of those things that can make any bad situation worse, but that's not what our mind tries to convince us of in the moment, right? No matter how many times we muster the resolve to say never again when actually struggling with binge eating, it can start to feel like when urges get strong, our mind just comes up with a seemingly reasonable reason to justify a binge. So that is what Catherine and I are going to be talking about today. Drawing attention to these common justifications, or even what we could call the lies we tell ourselves surrounding binge eating, is an essential step in labeling them as what they are, and gaining conviction and power in dismissing urges to binge. So with that, I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, Catherine Hansen. Since we last caught up for an episode, you've released the second edition of Brain Over Binge. Like, What's life been like? What have you been up to? Yeah, I mean, um, it was something I wanted to do for a long time as far as just update the book. And um, I got that done in April of last year. So it's been really exciting. And it's actually also been nice to not be writing. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of work, too. So yeah. I, I was really happy to get that out there. And I hope it's been helpful to people. The The best part about it is that I was able to include recovery stories in there of other people who have been um you know, have benefited from these brain-based concepts and have really recovered in their own way. And just kind of showing that the way I recovered isn't the path that everyone takes and everyone is unique. So it was really neat to get those um, recovery stories in the second edition. That's such a powerful thing, showing the uniqueness of different people's journeys, like how there are like these principles that we all kind of use and that can be useful for everyone. But when it comes down to the unique path that each of us take, you know, everyone's got a slightly different spin. And that would be such a powerful thing you've been able to add to that second edition. Yeah, for sure. And I've talked to people who have recovered after, you know, one day, basically, like, okay, I stopped binging today, and I never did it again. And other people really need more practice and more of that, um, just deconditioning the brain. If the habits were very well established, it can take longer for some people and both paths are okay or anywhere in between. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a lot to thank you for because your book really was the full stop at the end of my own struggle with binge eating. I kind of had it almost under control for a while and I was doing all these things that certainly improved my relationship with food and it was kind of hanging in there by the skin of its teeth for a while. But then reading Brain Over Binge all those years ago, it really just put a full stop at the end of my experience with binge eating. So, you know, it's always really great to chat with you and I'm always so grateful for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Marcus. I, I really appreciate that. I'm glad my book could help you. And I, I like hearing your experience because I definitely think there was other things that you did that led you up to that point that my book was able to help you. And I hear that from others too. Like maybe my book is a part of it or my book is kind of that final missing piece, but everyone has to find all the things that work uniquely for them. And wherever my book fits in there or the brain, brain over binge approach or the ideas, the brain-based concepts, that's you can use those ideas in a way that works for you. 
Mm, the way you described it in Brain Over Binge really gave me like a next level of conviction in how I was approaching thoughts surrounding binge eating. So, you know, how would you describe the voice of binge eating or the voice of the lower brain and how it messes with us? Yeah, that's a great question. Like you mentioned, the voice is from the lower brain. It's from a primitive part of ourselves, this part of ourselves that really only wants to seek pleasure, to avoid pain, to maintain habits that give us pleasure. And for a long time struggling with binging, I thought that voice was me. I thought it was expressing mm -hmm. my true wants, my true desires, my true needs. And that was a little bit perpetuated in therapy as well. Like this is, you need this for an emotional reason. And so I thought this voice was, was me. And it was Jack Trimpey's book, Rational Recovery, that first taught me the concept of the addictive voice. And he explained that this voice is not you. This is from a primitive part of yourself. So I took that idea and, and applied it to my eating disorder. And I really was able to come to see that voice as completely apart from my true self. This voice was not expressing anything I truly wanted or needed. And I started just hearing that voice and what I call dismissing it realizing that it's just junk. It's just neurological junk for my lower brain that I no longer needed to listen to. When I first heard you describe that or first read about you describing it that way, it made me think of subscribing to email lists. And then <laughs> at a certain point in time, even if you may have subscribed to something that served you at one point in time, you might find yourself getting emails later down the track that you're like, I don't, I don't want this anymore. This isn't a message that I need anymore. But the difference is with those junk emails, we just unsubscribe, whereas mm -hmm. with messages that come from our lower brain, we take them really personally and we internalize them and we reflect on them and we go around in circles with them and have these dialogues. So what do you say we dive into this list? Like the eight most common messages we get from the lower brain that try to drive us towards binge eating. Yeah, absolutely. Where would so you like to start? Well, I would love to start with one that used to be one of my brain's favorites, and that's the one last time. I'll just do it yeah. one last time. Absolutely. I feel like that is one of probably the most common brain message that convinces people to binge. And from my perspective, I do think this starts off as a very rational thought. Like most people who binge come, come to that place through after a period of dieting, they diet, they restrict their food. You know, you're really in this survival state where you need food and you want to eat, of course. Like that's the where our brain tries to save our lives. So you tell yourself, oh, I'll just eat all this just once and then I'll be done. And mm. you tell yourself that kind of over and over as you go through the cycle of restricting and binging, oh, I'll just do it once. It's it's sort of the way the brain rationalizes the behavior. And it becomes a habit. I mean, is was that kind of your experience with this as well? Yeah, I just remember telling myself one last time, often multiple days in a row. And it was like, you know, the second or third day in, I still believed it. Or part of me still believed it. The, the discomfort when I was struggling really hard, the discomfort involved in resisting the binge was just so intense that mm -hmm. I was willing to believe almost anything if it gave me a ticket out of that discomfort. So yeah, that was something that I repeated to myself day after day sometimes for, you know, however many days in a row 
before just starting to feel so physically ill that I was like, oh, I, I just, I can't, I can't face it anymore. Mm -hmm. That's such a great point. How, when you're so uncomfortable, when that urge makes you feel like that's all you want, just can't resist it anymore. You feel like you need that rationalization to sort of allow yourself to give in. And it makes sense when it comes to the brain because we need our higher brain, our more rational brain to act on the lower brain's messages. Like the mm -hmm. lower brain cannot act on its own. The higher brain has ultimate control of what we do. So the lower brain kind of needs the higher brain to go along with it. So when you're, when you're that uncomfortable, you think, okay, if I just do it one last time, I'll never do it again. And it allows your higher brain to surrender control to the lower brain and you just give in until it's over. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I actually didn't want to do that. So it, it's sort of an intersection between your higher brain's rational capacities and your lower brain's desire for pleasure in the moment. And the one last time kind of allows those two brains to, um, it allows the lower brain to get what it wants from the higher brain, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It really, really does. And that kind of segues really nicely into number two, the, I deserve it. I deserve this. Yeah, I do think it's very common. Um, it's probably not as common as the one last time thought, but I definitely think it is something people tell themselves because there is a temporary pleasure in the moment of binging. Like anyone who has this habit, it causes so much pain. But you also know that there's those brain chemicals and those feel good, you know, the dopamine hits and it does give you a temporary pleasure in the moment. This is a very temporary harmful form of pleasure. This is some people would call it an addiction. It's very, very harmful, harmful to you. But there is that appeal of that instant gratification. So the I deserve it sort of allows your, again, your higher brain to rationalize giving in to this desire for this primal form of pleasure. And when you do it, you have this illusion, I think, that you'll be satisfied afterward. Like, yeah. I deserve it. I'll just do it. Then I won't want it anymore. I'll have what I wanted. And that is never the case. Mm. It never is, right? Because the, the feelings that we're left with immediately after a binge and the hours following a binge, like, no one deserves that. Those are awful. Yeah. Like really terrible. Yeah, Which... that's such a great point. And um, I think there is this, again, an illusion that it'll give you relaxation. It will give you something that you need emotionally or, or something like that. And it never delivers. You know, there's all these promises when you have the urge, when you have all these un uncomfortable feelings, the urge promises all these benefits yeah. And you say, oh, I deserve those benefits because, of course, everyone deserves pleasure. So you, your higher brain thinks, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense for me right now. I'll do it. And again, you surrender control and you give in. But then you realize it doesn't give you any of those actual benefits. It just brings you pain. Mm. And in those moments of binging, something that you were saying then just made me think of the massive difference there is between experiencing a genuine benefit versus just experiencing a few moments or a few minutes distraction from a pain that you might be feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like if you truly were only after the comfort or emotional benefits, you would be open to other things. Like you would be open to doing things that would actually help you cope. You would be open to giving yourself more true forms of soothing, but that's not what the brain is driving you toward. The brain is driving you toward 
a binge and telling you that binge is the only thing that's going to going to help you in that moment. And the binge is what you deserve when really you deserve to cope with whatever, whatever you're dealing with in a more healthy way. So in order to do that, in order to learn to cope and to soothe yourself in a healthy way, you have to dismiss this desire of deserving a binge. You have to dismiss this false hope that a binge is going to give you what you deserve because you really deserve a life free of this. That's a really good point. Like that as long as binging is there and as long as binging exists, there's not the space available for healthier coping mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what about, uh, we've got number three, this is, it's not a big deal to binge, like playing it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the lower brain doesn't remember pain very well. You know, it's all about pleasure in the moment. It's about kind of avoiding any potential pain. It's about exerting the least effort as possible. It it's not going to remind you in those moments that you're feeling so driven toward a binge. It's not going to remind you of the pain afterward. Now, you know there's pain, and I don't think there's really a need to remind yourself in those moments like a binge causes me this problem and a binge is awful for these reasons. Like, yeah, it's helpful to know those things. But in the moment, those um, reminders probably are not going to help because the lower brain is going to say, oh, it's not a big deal. You've overcome all your other binges. You've been fine. It's no big deal to do it again. Mm. That's sort of its default response. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, especially for some people who I've worked with and continue to work with who on a, let's call it, physical level seem to be quote getting away with it like there are some people who uh binge eat and they see it in their weight like i don't like talking about weight a whole lot because you know it's somewhat constructive somewhat unconstructive but for people who seem to be able to binge and have it not affect them on an aesthetic level or not affect their weight or not affect them in any tangible way, apart from just not liking the habit and feeling really ill afterwards and knowing that it's probably going to cause problems down the track. It's very easy in those moments where the urges start to escalate to say, ah, oh, I guess it's not a big deal. Like, I guess I'm getting away with it anyway. Like what are the real repercussions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. It makes that thought more convincing for those people. But I think an important thing to remember is that even if someone seems to be quote unquote getting away with it, it is causing harm. There yeah. will be long-term consequences. That's that's what each person has to come to see for themselves. It's mm -hmm. not something that, you know, in our position working with people, it's not something you can make someone see. I think it's about coming to, to see for yourself that this behavior, even though maybe it's not causing you weight gain right now, it is causing harm in your life. And you really have to step back and look at your life and realize that even if the lower brain says it's not a big deal, there are ways that it is. Absolutely. And number four, I need it. Like I need it for like a deeper reason. Like this is serving such an important purpose to me. Like you know what? I need this. I need this food. I need this binge. What else have I got? Yeah. Mm. That's a tough one. I think that may take a little more to unpack. It relates a little bit to the, I deserve it, but the, yeah. I deserve it is more like I deserve pleasure. This is like a need. I need this binge in order to yeah. 
you know, fill in the blank to cope with a problem, to deal with stress, to relieve my anxiety, you know, something, there's a connection there between the binge and some benefit you actually think you need. Mm. And I'm not sure if like, there are definitely periods of time where I don't know if it manifested in my mind as like a need, but I was definitely leaning on food as one of my only sources of what I thought was joy or what mm -hmm. I thought was relaxation at the time, going through really stressful periods in life and driving home like really, really late, like 10, 11 o'clock at night, knowing that I have to get up early the next morning and seeing the McDonald's drive through and just thinking, well, what else have I got right now? I need mm -hmm. something, you know? So yeah, that, that was definitely something that came up for me. And it never occurred to me that I was telling myself like I need it, but it was, it was, I guess, a, a weird kind of pillar of support, a really mm -hmm. dysfunctional pillar of support. Yeah. And something that came up for me when you're saying that is I know that you came from a strong history of dieting and food restriction. Yeah. That, that's correct, right? Yeah. So like yeah. I do think that food gets connected as a need really strongly because you actually do need food during the times and you're restricted. You need it so much and it becomes so much more appealing than it ever did before you dieted. It really has this strong pull. And I remember feeling that way, like food was the only thing I wanted. Of course it was. I was starving. Like it only made <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like biologically. But even when you give up the dieting and the food restriction, I think some of that stays where yes. you just really put food on a pedestal basically. And you think this is what I need. This is what gives me um, pleasure and satisfaction and coping or whatever. But I think some of that's related to just how strong your brain felt like it needed it when you were dieting. Yeah, absolutely. And it can take a while for that to rewire itself, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure you've had a few conversations like this. I know I definitely have with people who are doing great work and saying, you know, I'm not being overly restrictive in terms of my diet anymore. I'm taking really good steps. I'm feeding myself. I'm managing stress better. I'm doing all this kind of stuff, but I'm still getting these urges and thoughts surround food surrounding food and it's like those are I often call them echoes like they're residual residual echoes of what we experience through dieting and binge eating and they just take sometimes a little bit longer to fade yeah i would totally agree with that i think it just takes some time of realizing okay my brain's going to tell me i need it my brain's going to tell me all these benefits it's going to give me but being able to experience those thoughts and feelings without taking them seriously, realizing they're just that neurological junk that we talked about, it allows food to gradually return to its proper place in your life. Mm. Which brings us to number five. Now, this one was massive for me. I think mm -hmm. my involvement in the fitness industry and being a trainer and everything like that really exacerbated this one for me because... I always felt like it's okay. I can make up for this tomorrow. I can do a new diet. I can train like a superhero. I can do whatever's necessary. But that lie of like, I can make up for this tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that was huge for me. Absolutely huge. And 
I feel like it's an illusion. I, I used to tell myself the same thing. I used to say, I'll make up for it tomorrow by exercising for an insane amount of hours. Mm. But that's just an additional harmful thing. It doesn't yeah. make up for anything. It's just adding on something else that is hurting you. Yeah, for sure. Because I often talk about uh, maximum recoverable volume in terms of exercise and training. So the most physical work we can do and then positively adapt to and positively recover from, it's mm -hmm. a, a really common thing to take into account when we look at strength and conditioning training. But it's not something that, you know, those of us in the, the general public are told when we go into the gym. When we're inducted into that, we don't realize that there's actually a amount of work that we can do physical work that starts to become counterproductive, like we're not going to recover from it and then get stronger or fitter in the way that we would if we were doing a more appropriate amount of physical exercise. So yeah, this whole thing of I can make up for it tomorrow, like even if we were to train all day, we'd be training way past the point of diminishing returns to the point where we're not doing any good on any level. Yeah. yeah. It also reminds me of the old outdated calorie equation. Like you have to burn more than you take in. And yeah. so if you take in a lot of calories, you just tell yourself, oh, I'll burn more off tomorrow. And I feel like that's such a toxic mindset because it's just, it's not caring for your body. It's just all about the math and the numbers. And I just need to burn more. And so you tell yourself, oh, I'll make up for it by burning calories, which again, just harms your body, just put yourself in a, in a bad situation. I remember, it reminds me of this um, softball coach I used to have, and she used to say two wrongs don't make a right. And that was like, if you bobbled the ball and then you made a bad throw, like basically if you make one wrong, don't make an additional wrong, like pick the ball up and make a good throw. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's great. Like, and it's so true, isn't it? We think, you know what? I've screwed up. I can fix it just by screwing up harder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's not, yeah, it's not the way it's, it's, you know, compose yourself and do the right thing going forward. Mm. And here we've got kind of the opposite of this one, like number six, I've already blown it. So I've already eaten imperfectly. So I may as well just go for it and binge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this one relates to that mindset of needing to be perfect, which a lot of us develop when we start dieting and really over-focusing on our bodies, you think, okay, this is the way it has to be. There's one right way. So if I venture off of it in any direction, you know, if I venture off of this perfect plan, I've already failed. And, mm -hmm. and I think the rationalization comes in because you're starving and your, your body actually needs food. So it almost starts off as like, oh, I've already failed. So I might as well eat everything I can. But part of me thinks that's a bit of a survival mechanism. We can get this brain message that says, oh, I've, I've already failed, so I'm just going to eat everything possible. And, and in a way, it gives us sort of what we need in the moment. And I don't think anyone needs massive amounts of calories at one time. What we truly need is a more consistent, nourishing, you know, healthy eating habits that fuel us and give us what we physically need over time. We don't need those specific binges. But in a way, it, it is like in the moment helps you get those calories that you need. Um, I feel like mm. I'm getting a, a little off track here, but I think it does relate to that perfectionistic mindset of thinking there's one right way. If I go off of it in any direction, that means I should just throw in the towel and, and give up. 
I very clearly remember the feeling of being on my diet and then thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I'll just have a taste of something or just have a little bit of something. And how my thoughts would change from I'll just have a bite of something and a bite of something is okay. But then it's like the moment the taste of a particular food hit my tongue, I it, it was like my entire thought process changed and it just went from I'll just have a bite to screw it. Let's just mm-hmm. go for it. Like almost like instantly, like crazy. Yeah. it was so, so quick and it was so instant. And this was one of the experiences that made me believe at certain times that food was chemically addictive. I no longer hold that belief, mm-hmm. but I can totally understand the experience because I experienced it myself that feeling of like, oh my God, these particular foods are just so powerful that there must be something in them that is creating this response or leading to this response in me. But it's not so much those foods themselves that's leading to that response as it is what's happening around those foods that's leading mm-hmm. us to respond to them in that way. Yeah. And I was I would also add that it's the restriction too. I mean, yeah. restriction makes food so much more appealing on a chemical level. Mm. And that leads people to think, oh, I'm a food addict. No, you actually are malnourished. You're you're undernourished. And that's giving foods that appeal. And then as it becomes a habit, the foods develop appeal for a var- variety of reasons. We sort of become hooked on them for certain um, reasons. And and obviously some foods are chemically more stimulating than others. Of course, yeah. that makes sense. That doesn't mean we're powerless against them, but it means that eating certain foods will create more desire in us. And it's about learning to experience that without letting it, you know, lead to you being out of control. Absolutely. And I think the, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, just I, a- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the Blown it thoughts that I've already blown it, so I might as well binge. That's that's so big. I honestly think this one is probably second to the one last time. Yeah. And I almost think this one, yes, you need to learn to dismiss it in that moment. But I do think this one requires more work, like beforehand, before you're in that moment of the urge. It requires work to let go of the perfectionism, to let go of the idea that there is one right way, to let go of just this desire to always get your eating perfect. Because if you let go of that, then when you have those thoughts, I've blown it, you realize, oh, I actually didn't blow it. I didn't blow anything when you're able to release that perfectionism. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that, you know, some of these are going to require work ahead of time. And some of them are going to require work in the moment. It's like some of these things require more preemptive action, but some of them require a larger focus on being able to, I guess, what we could call self-regulate in the moment. So there's a different balance of that for each of these things, I guess. And, And this one that I've already blown it, this is something that, like you said, I feel like there is a bit more preemptive action involved surrounding the the mindset of of dieting and abundance with food and letting go of that perfectionism. Because if we're still involved in all those thoughts and if we're still invested in that perfectionism, then it's going to be a lot of pressure 
and very hard for us to navigate this one in the moment. Whereas when we've done the work up front and done that preemptive action, then the moment of eating something that might be quote unquote not perfect doesn't hit with the same intensity as it maybe would have. Yeah. And then if you do have that thought, you can see it as junk from your brain because you know perfection is not required. 100%. Yeah. And number seven and eight, they, I want to mention them as a pair because they're kind of closely related, but they're still separate and they're really hard. Like I I've definitely experienced periods of time where I drifted into these ones when I was struggling with binge eating. I've worked with people uh, struggling with these particular mindsets and these situations. And Catherine, I'm sure you have too. And that is life is bad anyway. So what's the point of quitting? I'm just going to go for it. And Mm -hmm. number eight being it's the only thing that gives me pleasure. So what are your thoughts on navigating those two? Yeah, these are tough, you know, because we always want to have, you know, compassion for what's going on in people's lives. And I know that so many people struggling with this are also dealing with so many other things. Um, I think it really fundamentally comes down to realizing that binging is not helping. Yes. And everyone comes to that realization on their own timeline. And it doesn't mean we're saying, oh, you just have to suck it up and quit. And we're taking away this thing that's helping you. We're not because it's not helping you. But as much as we can sit back here and say that, it's not until you come to see it for yourself that you'll start to realize that these thoughts are also not true. These thoughts are faulty brain messages. The brain will will come up with these sort of poor me scenarios, like everything's so bad. So Mm. I might as well binge. Okay, everything might be bad, but binging is never the solution. And again, it's everyone is unique as far as when and how they come to that realization. Definitely. It was, again, your work that inspired me to kind of adopt the attitude of there's nothing so bad that I can't make it worse by doing something that's going to make it worse, you know, like Mm -hmm. just the attitude of, okay, things are shitty. I'm, I flat out refuse to do something that's going to make a shitty situation even shittier. And as hard as that was the first few times I really tried to do that, it started to pay dividends because I'm not sure about other people who've thought this or tried it or, you know, successfully tried it, but oddly being able to execute on that just a few times gave me such a tangible sense of pride Mm -hmm. that that then reinforced that action moving forward. But you touched on something that sounded like you were talking about the very difficult and awkward situation where we're just starting to like get a foot in the door with with some of these things before we've built momentum before we've put a few wins on the board that can be the hardest point for some people what do you feel about that do you feel that's accurate yeah i do think it's accurate i think at that point life almost feels the hardest 
because you're still having all of those consequences from the binging. You're still feeling the real weight of the eating disorder. And then you have the weight of just real life. And Mm. it's about being in that moment and hearing that thought, like life is so bad anyway. So what's the point of quitting? And, And really coming to believe that, okay, yeah, life is bad, but quitting is actually going to help. Quitting is going to relieve a lot of the problems that binging caused. Quitting is going to, you know, reduce a lot of those consequences that I'm experiencing right now. And then I can learn to deal with all the other hard stuff of life. Mm. So it opens that space to actually deal with the things that are the actual challenges, I guess. Of course, binge eating is a binge eating is a huge challenge, but, you know, getting rid of binge eating actually opens the space to deal with things that could be, you know, driving the the difficult situation. Yeah. And it feels, I think in the beginning, harder to deal with those quote unquote real life problems because you have been distracted by the eating disorder. And it doesn't mean you really needed the eating disorder. It doesn't mean the eating disorder was benefiting you. It just means it was a distraction. You weren't focusing on these other problems in your life because you were focusing on the food. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it it feels new to deal with other problems. And yes. it also feels yeah. So it's like a, a new thing. You're you're overcoming the eating disorder. You're just learning how to deal with your real life problems. And the whole situation can make your brain produce this thought, oh, well, the solution is just to go back to binging because life is too hard anyway. And that thought, gosh, if you can resist that thought or dismiss it and see it as junk, you are taking yourself a long way toward complete freedom from this. Absolutely. And as you're saying that, you've just reminded me of a gentleman I'm working with who's based over in California. I want to give him a huge shout out at this point right now, because what we're just describing, that moment where the absence of binge eating is allowing other things to come to the surface. And those other things that come to the surface aren't always super pleasant. They're the feelings, states, emotions, whatever they might be that binge eating has been distracting us from. And this gentleman over in Cali, like he is handling this like a champ at the moment. He's done such good work. And I just want to give him credit for that because it is a hard situation to sweep away the binge eating to overcome that and then kind of be confronted with this other feeling that's like whoa okay so is is this what i was distracting myself from is is this what's waiting for me uh, Mm -hmm. behind the binge eating but you know if we can then put the cherry on the cake so to speak and navigate that using the skills that we have used to overcome binge eating. So, you know, it's not like a whole new skill set. If we can use what we've done, use what we've learned to then regulate through that next level, that's like a whole other level of freedom that occurs then. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm so glad to hear about the man you're working with. That's doing great with this. It's very inspiring. And I think just everyone who's in this position to see that there people, anyone who's recovered has gone through this difficult phase in the beginning and everyone, you know, who has lasting freedom has done this and so can you. So I think that's a, a big part of this. Also, what came to me is earlier, we talked about some of these thoughts needing some prior work beforehand to kind of mm-hmm. go through them and realize that these thoughts are not true. And I think this is one of them because 
I think there's an illusion that recovery is going to bring a happy life, a perfect life. You know, I think it's, people think that recovery is just this joyous thing all the time. And yeah. the reality is not, that that's not the case. And I think knowing that recovery does not mean all your problems will disappear. Recovery does not mean your emotions will suddenly be easy to deal with. Once you really know that, then when you have these hard things that come up when you're not binging and your brain says, oh, life's hard, you might as well binge. You're like, no, life is just hard. Like full stop. Doesn't yeah. mean you might as well binge. I agree so much. And the, uh, yeah, like I still experience anxiety. I, I haven't oh, yeah. struggled with binge eating for a really, really long time. Uh, anxiety is something that's like an ongoing thing that I manage. And in one of our previous conversations, you mentioned anxiety as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've definitely had anxiety, you know, I've been recovered for like 17 years. And I mean, yes, it's absolutely better than it was when I was in my early 20s and things like that. I've learned different mental strategies that help. But a lot of the things that seem to be sort of more sticky parts of who I am, I blamed them for my eating disorder. And when I gave up my eating disorder, and those things were still there, it was very, it was very interesting. I mean, I think setting myself up for knowing that recovery did not mean I was suddenly going to be perfect. That was something I, I learned, I think, most strongly from Rational Recovery and Jack Trimpey. I That really, really helped me because when I, in the past, when I didn't binge and still was anxious, I was like, oh, well, I still need to binge. When I actually recovered and I didn't binge and I was anxious, I was like, oh, that's just normal. You know, I'll deal with anxiety the best way I can, but a binging, binging is never the solution. Does that make sense? For sure. Like, it's always kind of a positive to experience a really difficult emotion, but not also need to juggle an eating disorder or disordered eating or anxiety surrounding food at the same time. It's yeah. like one less thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it opens the space to find healthier ways to deal with it. Mm, for sure. And so I do want to mention the the pleasure one. You said you kind of grouped this one with the previous one. It's the only thing that gives me pleasure. Yeah. And there's just one thing I want to say to that is that I understand that thought can be very powerful, but I mm -hmm. want people to consider that maybe it's the only thing that can give you pleasure because it's the only thing that relieves the urges. When the urges are so uncomfortable and so strong, it creates so much anxiety and desire and when you binge, you temporarily shut all that down. You temporarily can relax, basically, because you're not having the urges. Of course, then you're dealing with all the guilt and the shame and the consequences. But it does give you that pleasure of relief of the urge. So I do want people to consider that. That is the only thing that helps because it's the only thing that gets rid of the urges. You know, mm. does that make sense? Yeah. And that that's one of the core messages from Brain Over Binge that it's the urge that's the problem. And a, mm -hmm. a lot of these habits and a lot of the things that we think are all centered around managing the urge that wouldn't be there if we weren't indulging it. Do I have that correct? Yeah. I mean, I like to ask people the question of if you did not have the urges to binge, would you still choose to binge for pleasure? And yes. most people would say, no, like, why, yeah. why would I do that if I didn't feel so strongly driven toward it? I know what harm it causes me. I know the pain it's creating in my life. It's really the urges that make you feel like it's the only thing. So once mm -hmm. you stop acting on those urges, once your brain is deconditioned, 
you stop wanting it. It's not like you're going to go through your whole life resisting the urge. Like it's going to go away. It's going to start to feel like the opposite of pleasure. Mm. Because yeah, without the urge, why on earth would we put ourselves through something like that? It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, we always want to be compassionate to whatever people are going through. And I know some people feel like getting back to the life is so hard, like life is so hard. So I really need this pleasure. I really deserve this. And it kind of hits on all the things we've been talking about. And of course, like you want to take care of yourself. You want to be compassionate towards yourself, but really step back and think about what that means. And being compassionate and loving toward yourself doesn't mean indulging this harmful habit. It means really trying to take care of yourself in the ways that are truly going to move your life forward and and heal you and not just harm you by seeking that instant gratification. I couldn't have said it better, Catherine. That's absolutely amazing. Is there anything that you'd like to leave everyone with today? Any final messages? Yeah, Marcus, I think a big thing you can think about with all these thoughts is that would you tell these things to someone you cared about? Would you tell someone you loved, you deserve a binge? Of course not. You wouldn't yeah. tell any of these things to anyone you loved. And, and I think that's a big way to realize that these thoughts are not truly helping you. They're not truly self-loving. They're not truly leading toward recovery these are just junk messages from your lower brain that you no longer have to follow. True. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. I'll make sure your details are in the episode description. So anyone who wants to find you or reach out to you, your details will be right there and they'll know where to find you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marcus. I think this has been great and I hope your listeners have benefited. It's my pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you found it really valuable. If you'd like to reach out to Catherine, I'll include links to her website and Instagram in the episode description. And if you'd like free access to the Strong Not Starving Express workshop that will give you the formula for how to make progress in the gym and in the kitchen without getting stuck in cycles of restrictive dieting and obsession surrounding food, there will be a link in the episode description that will give you free access to that. And of course, in that workshop, if you see any references to the M. Kane Coaching Podcast, know that that's still this podcast. All the old episodes are still available if you scroll down. So thanks for joining us today. My name is Marcus Kane, and I'll be back with another episode of Strong Not Starving soon. This year, I'm going to be doing my absolute best to release regular episodes every week, and they're going to be coming out mostly on Tuesdays. Sometimes I do collaborative episodes with other people, and we share them both to our podcasts simultaneously. So sometimes those episodes might come out on other days, but this year I'm going to be doing my absolute best to get new episodes to you every Tuesday.